Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's House. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and thank you for that wonderful welcome, Joseph, and all of you. It's an honor for me to be here. One thing uh, Joseph didn't say, uh, I have an accent. I'm originally from New Zealand. That's where I was born, a Kiwi, yeah, kia ora, and uh, I grew up in a Jewish family there um, and uh, had a life-changing experience when I was, uh, when, how old was I, 16, I was in a car, a, a major car accident, my best friend was with me, he was killed in that accident, and it started a long search for me, searching for answers to life's meaning. And then about three years later, I had a, a dramatic, I guess my first spiritual experience in life. I, I wasn't really a, a believer in God until then, but uh, a man started to talk to me from uh, his experience and belief in the Bible. And... Um, I started to pay attention and believe, and uh, it totally uh, turned and changed my life around. Um, My big uh, challenge at that time was how can I, as someone who is Jewish, believe in this uh, historical man called Jesus, Uh, who my understanding was that this Jesus was an enemy of the Jews and uh, a lot of things that Christians have done to the Jews in the name of Jesus. Um, You know, what are my parents going to say? And anyhow, I I told them uh, I'm making a decision to follow this historical Jewish man called Jesus. And uh, it didn't go very well with them. And uh, they cut me off and said, you know, if you'd got to prison or into drugs, it wouldn't have been as bad. So um, I basically had to go it by myself and uh, cut off from my family. And uh, I moved into a new city. I met new people, uh, fellow followers of this man, Jesus. And then... In about 1987, I think it was, I came on a a pilgrimage to Israel, and um, that was my first kind of connection in a positive way with my uh, Jewish roots, because I was kind of a little bit uh, embarrassed or ashamed to be Jewish growing up. It wasn't something that I necessarily went out and told everyone. Um, you know, with a nose like mine, that's very hard to hide. <laughs> but, uh, but when I got to Israel, uh, something opened up within my soul and I, I felt very much connected to the land, to the people. Went back uh, to New Zealand, did a, a three-year Bible course. And then about 28 years ago, feeling a, a strong sense of leading, a strong sense of call, uh, with a few hundred dollars, a couple of suitcases, I, uh, I immigrated. We say I made Aliyah, which basically means to go up. And um, so I've been there, living there. In the last 10 years, 
I've been a tour guide. It's been an honor and a privilege. And uh, I guess that's part of what led me here tonight. And it really is an honor for me to be with you all. And I love the name, uh, Beit Abba, the house of our father. Something that I just want to share, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, Genesis, just a couple of verses, Genesis 42. I want to talk a little bit about a theme, the hiddenness of God and the test of our faith. You know, we all, I believe most of us here believe in God, and uh, it takes faith to do that. Um, it's kind of a lot easier believing in God when everything is fine, sitting in a nice, uh, comfortable auditorium like this. But uh, when difficulties arise, that we all know is the real test of our faith. And uh, from verse 6, and Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brethren, that's his brothers, came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but he made himself strange unto them, or he hid his identity. And he said, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And so you know the story. You've probably seen a movie about it. Um, the, uh, 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 this leader, this ruler Joseph, can you imagine the surprise when his brothers, the same brothers that treated him so unjustly, cruelly, and uh, all of those years being separated from them, separated from his, you know, his really loving Abba, father, and all of a sudden he sees them turn up. And uh, by that stage, he had really taken on an Egyptian identity, culture, language, but he knew them. He knew who they were. They didn't know who he was, of course. And, um, you know, the Hebrew word for hide is the word master. Okay, do you want to say that? Master. And it's the same word where we get the word ester from Esther. And uh, when the rabbis and uh, even later on the Christians wanted to canonize the scriptures, there was big debate whether the book of Esther should be included. And you probably know the reason why is because in the book of Esther, it doesn't mention God at even one time. And I believe the theme of the book of Esther is hiddenness. Because number one, you don't see God at all. Number two, Mordecai told Esther to hide her identity, remember? And, um, 
And of course, number three, today when we celebrate the Feast of Esther, which is called Purim, we dress up in costumes to hide our own identity, to remind us of the hidden Esther and the hidden God. And by the way, uh, the rabbis say that it's the one time of the year that it's okay to get drunk. <laughs> and I shouldn't be joking about that, but, and I'm not advocating it, but the reason why, it's a really interesting reason, is they say that when you're drunk, of course, I've never known, but they say that when you're drunk, you are not totally in control, right? And it's a reminder, because that story, what happened in that story, one man, Haman, okay, because one man, Mordecai, did not bow down to him. He spun the poor, from where we get the word Purim, and it fell on a day that every single Jew in 127 provinces around the world, <coughs> excuse me, would be annihilated. And so the idea of getting drunk reminds us that when we are not in control, there is an unseen God who is in control. And if you look at that story of Esther, where you don't see God, but look at the pawns in the play. You've got Mordecai sitting at the gate. He overhears the assassination plot. He reports it. It gets written in the Chronicles. And then the story of Esther, who happens to make her way up to be the queen. She takes the advice of her uncle Mordecai by hiding her identity. And then this wicked man rises up and, uh, you know, he spins the, the poor. And the Jewish people are an absolute uh, trauma. Can you imagine? <coughs> Every single Jew on this particular day is going to be annihilated. And it's got the king's stamp of approval. And so what do you do when your destiny is in the hands of a wicked, powerful man, a tyrant? And uh, then, of course, one night the king uh, has a dream and he asks for the chronicles to be brought to him. And he happens to open up at the assassination plot. And it was reported to him. And so he asks, uh, you know, Haman, boo, what should the king do to honor the, the man who reported this? And Haman thought he was talking about himself. So he said, this man should be put on a horse, the king's robe and crown. He should be marched through the streets and everyone should honor him. And so the king said, go and do it to Mordecai the Jew. Yeah. And of course, Haman was incensed at doing that. And his smart wife, she knew. Remember what she said? Why are you coming against this people? 
in whom your fall has already begun. And by that stage, it was too late. And uh, the queen, Queen Esther, at the um, advice of her uncle, who said, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people. But who knows? Maybe you have come to the king's uh, palace for such a time as this. And remember what uh, Esther said? She said, I will go, and if I perish, I perish. And so it sounds like pretty easy, right? But it wasn't. And she went. She was very brave. And uh, you know the rest of the story, how the whole plot turned around. Where was God? Where was he? He was, th- he was working through Mordecai. Did Mordecai know it? Maybe not. Probably not. He was working through Esther. Did she know it? Probably not. And this is the mystery of the hiddenness of God. And if you look through the scriptures, you know, one of the struggles that I find, and I don't know about you, but when you are trying to talk to um, our fellow Jewish people uh, about the Messiah, the topic of the Messiah. And you know, in the scriptures, there's about four key pictures, actually five, of the Messiah. The first one is, I believe, Abraham, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, you, I will bless you. Why? So that you can become a blessing. That's why God blesses us, so that we can become a blessing. And through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. So we know that the Messiah has to be a Jew through the seed of Abraham. And of course, those of us who believe in a historical man, Jesus, Yeshua, we believe he is the fulfillment. Then there is Moses. And uh, Moses is a picture of the Messiah because at a time when Pharaoh was killing every single baby boy, a young boy called Moshe, or Moses in English, from, by the way, it's from the word Ramesses. Messes is the same meaning, Moses, which means a boy. Ra means the son. Ramesses means the son boy or the, 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 the son child. And uh, basically Moses means a child. And uh, he was divinely spared and he grew up to become the lawgiver, the mediator, and of course the deliverer. And if you look in the New Testament, you will see how Yeshua, Jesus, number one, he's the divinely spared baby because King Herod, historical accounts, he killed all the baby Jewish boys, but there was one that was spared. And a man called Shimon or Simeon, when he was in the temple up in Jerusalem, he knew when he saw this baby that it was the Messiah. And he lifted up the baby and he said, my eyes have seen your Yeshua, which means salvation. He became, he was the baby. He was the law giver. Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, the Sermon on the Mount. It says, seeing a multitude, he went up 
on a mountain. And I believe when Matthew wrote that, he was referring to Moses. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, Moses himself said, The Lord your God will raise up unto you one like me. Listen to him. And so Jesus was the one that went up on the mountain. And by the way, on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember what the voice said? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And that's what Moses said. The Lord your God will raise up one unto you. Listen to him. And then, of course, ultimately, Yeshua, Jesus became the deliverer just like Moses. Then there's David, the promise of David. The Lord said to David, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And we know that one of the important parts of the genealogy of Jesus is that his descendant was King David. And uh, this is why the Jewish people so highly revered David, not only because he was a worshiper, he was a man after God's heart, but because we know that the Messiah has to come through his lineage. And then, of course, there's Elijah. Why is Elijah so important to the Jewish people? Because one of the last verses in the English Old Testament is that it says, I will send my servant Elijah, and he will prepare for the coming day of the Lord. And uh, in the New Testament account, Jesus said, you know, Elijah has come if you can receive it. And that was the person of John the Baptist who, when he was in the womb of his mother, uh, the angel said he will go forth in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So he was the forerunner. He was the one who prepared the way. And then lastly, the person that we're referring to in Genesis 42, Joseph. He is, in my opinion, one of the greatest prototypes of the Messiah Jesus. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. He was, as it were, crucified by his brothers. He found himself in a pit and miraculously, it says actually that the Lord was with Joseph. And then after many, many years of, you know, doing righteous things and time and time again, getting knocked down, getting hit down, Joseph grew strong in his faith. Um, it says the word of the Lord tried Joseph. He certainly was tested. And then what's interesting is while he was in that prison, uh, he interpreted the dreams for two people. And when one was released, he said to him, remember me. And that man forgot him for two full years. But what's interesting is that when Joseph finally was resurrected, it says that he began serving in the courts of Pharaoh when he was 30 years of age. Now, 30 in the scriptures is the age of priesthood. And so when Joseph was 28, he wasn't ready. It's easy for us to say. But uh, God's timing is perfect, right? Yeah, remember that. 
Because when you're in a prison of circumstance, it certainly doesn't feel like his timing is right. And you, you know, I'm sure Joseph, being human, probably had a few questions with the Lord, probably had a few struggles regarding his brothers, the way they treated him, probably struggled with a little bit of, you know, self-pity and all of that. After all, he was only human. But Joseph, remember his dreams, he dreamed that there were 11 sheaves bowing down before him. And he is that 12th sheaf that is dying in the ground. And he was resurrected. He is now the, the savior of the day because he and his dreams, remember he, had, he said seven years there will be plenty and then seven years there will be famine. So the seven years they stored up the barns and then when the famine hit, what happened? The brothers were forced to, to come because there was only one place in all the world at that day that you could get food, and it was with Joseph. So the brothers came, and he made himself strange unto his brethren. He hid his identity. And this is a picture, I believe this is a prophetic picture of what's going on today. Because 2,000 years ago, you know, generally speaking, the Jewish people rejected the Messiah Jesus. They crucified him. Now, before I carry on the story, you, parallel with what I just said, we also need to be remembered that the first three followers of Jesus were Jewish, and then it grew to 12 and then to 70, and then to 120, and then to 3,000, and then to 5,000. They were all Jewish. You know, know that, right? Amen. And uh, I, I'm, I like to make that point very clear because you may or may not know this, but John was not a Baptist. <laughs> Mary was not a Catholic. And Jesus was not a Christian. So if you aren't sure about that, go back 2,000 years ago. I always say on my tours, the key to understanding the Bible is what? Context. You've got to go back to the historical, social, cultural context. Jesus leaves Nazareth. He was like driven out of Nazareth. And where does he go? Where is his, is his new hometown? Capernaum. And what does he do when he comes to Capernaum? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And three guys followed him, teenagers. And that's how it all began. A historian Josephus Flavius tells us that in the second temple period, there were 24 different Jewish groups. We know some of them from the New Testament. Zealots, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, Essenes. So one of those 24 movements or groups or sects was what we're talking about right now. Jesus coming into Capernaum, choosing three young men, and that's how it started, right? And then it grew to 12, and then to 70, and then to 3,000, and then to 5,000. And then a Gentile joins in, okay? So it's important for us to know where our roots come from. 
And uh, you guys, you, some of us here who are not Jewish, it says that you have become partakers of the commonwealth of Israel. Okay? So is it fair to say that really you follow a Jewish sect or a Jewish group? Certainly your Messiah is Jewish. So that doesn't mean you have to be Jewish or anything like that. But it's, I think it's important to know our roots, know who we are. We need to be proud of who we are. And the deeper and the stronger we know who we are, the more proud, the more bold we will be. And we will change people's lives. So let's go back to the story. Joseph now has come face to face with those very people who wanted him dead. And how is he going to deal with it? How would you deal with it? Would you, you know, eye for an eye? Would you pull out the book of justice here? What's fair? What's unfair? And we read the rest of the story. I know you know the rest of the story that Joseph dealt with his brothers in what I call a disciplining, loving, restorative way. If you look at times, he was tough with them. He was hard with them. And then at other times, he had to go out of the room and weep. When he heard that they have a younger brother, Benjamin, what did he do? He organized everything. He hid a cup in one of their bags. Then... He busted them, and they, of course, didn't know how it got there. So he held someone back as a ransom, and he told them to go and get their young brother. When the brothers came back, they told their father, Jacob, poor Jacob, he's lost his son, Joseph. One of his sons is held ransom, and now he's faced of losing his other beloved son, uh, Benjamin. And do you remember what? Uh, Jacob said he said Joseph is no more will you take Benjamin from me will you uh, will you uh, bring my gray hairs down to the grave and then he says all these things are against me now here's the question were all those things against Jacob, or were they for Jacob? What do you think? Put yourself in Jacob's shoes and ask the question again. See, Jacob didn't see that God was around the corner. Everything was hidden from him. His son was dead. Joseph was dead. Probably his ransom son wasn't going to make it alive. And now he's losing Benjamin. All these things are against me. Certainly in his experience, no question they were against him. But we know that absolutely everything was working for him. Now, if you were to say to Jacob, Jacob, don't worry, it's all working for you, it doesn't calculate. 
And this is the mystery of trusting in the living, unseen, hidden God. He allows circumstances to arrive, arise that just play with your mind. And this is so dangerous. And this is where we need to know the way he acts through history. And Paul summed it up in the verse that we all know, Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. Doesn't mean that all things are good. We all know that they're not all good. But they're working together for good if we trust that God can bring redemption. And it can take days, weeks, months, even years before we see. Joseph himself spent years without a father, without his brothers. If anyone had uh, a right to feel, you know, God, you're not fair, Joseph did. Anyhow, you know the rest of the story. They're reconciled, but Joseph waits until the right time. And he knew the right time because he heard them talking. Remember, they said, this has happened because of the way we treated our brother. And he had to go and weep. And then finally, it says he sent everyone out of the room. And he said, I am Joseph. And I actually believe, and you please excuse me for saying this, I actually believe he showed them the physical sign that he was their brother, proving he was circumcised. Because otherwise, how else would they really know it was their brother? And remember what he said, kind of the equivalent to Romans 8.28. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good and for the salvation of many. This amazing picture. And friends, this is a prophetic picture of, I believe, what God is doing today. The Jewish people, after 2,000 years of being persecuted by Christians in the name of Jesus, historically Jewish people have got such a negativity toward Jesus. But things are changing as the Jewish people are returning back to their ancient homeland. As Christians by the millions, especially from the United States, are coming, are praying, are supporting are loving, it's breaking down so many walls. And now this generation, almost the second post-Holocaust generation of Jewish people, now they're proud of Jesus. He's one of ours. He was a historical teacher. He was a rabbi. And more and more Jewish people are actually coming and seeing the veil, this veil is being taken away. They're seeing who the Messiah is. But I believe in the scriptures that one day there will actually be a national salvation where 
all of his brothers will see whom they have pierced. But we're in that process of the disciplining love of the Messiah. And so this whole theme of the hiddenness of God, a lot of people ask me to, you know, what's going on in Israel? Where is God? How is God moving? Who am I to say how God is moving? All I know is that He is the unseen living God. He moves among His people. And we don't know how our lives are affecting others. Look at Mordecai. He was just sitting in the gate of the city. Did he know that by sitting at that gate of the city it was going to save the Jewish people one day? Did Esther know it was going to save a whole nation by just following the advice of her uncle? We don't know how we can affect people. And I don't think we should have a big Messiah-like image of ourselves. I think that's dangerous. But on the other hand, I think it's important that we all have a sense that we have a, a divine personal call on our lives. And we were just talking on the way over. Um, I was talking with uh, Joseph about even things like prison ministry. He was talking about how his father-in-law went recently. And I was in Scotland about six weeks ago, the first time in my life. I did prison ministry. And there are people cut off from the world, no hope, no friends. And I was sitting there and I was like, his life supply, his sense of hope. And uh, remember what the Lord said. I was in prison and you visited me. And people would say, when? When did we visit you? And he said, when you did it to one of the least, you did it to me. So we don't know how much our lives um, can impact. But we all know the reality that Even like Joseph, when we stand up for righteousness, when we stand against the evil tide of the world and some of the humanistic and hedonistic uh, values and flavor in our societies, sooner or later, we're going to probably pay a price. And one of the challenges is how do we stand when we're being crucified by our brothers when we are being, you know, slapped on one side of the cheek or despitefully used. And I just want to close with a passage from Matthew chapter 11, if you have uh, your Bible. When the Lord was speaking about John the Baptist and he was telling his disciples, you know, people are saying that John is filled with demons. And... uh, Look at verse 16. What shall I liken this generation to? It's like, a, it's like little children sitting in the markets and calling their fellows and saying, we have piped for you, but you have not danced. We have mourned for you, but you have not lamented. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a, de- a devil. The son of man came just eating and drinking, And they say, behold, a gluttonous man, false accusations, outright lies. You know, false news, fake news. (laughs) A wine bitter, a friend of publicans and sinners. 
Socially, you shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. And then, because they did not receive who he was, he began to curse the three cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And then look in the context, again, the context of what was going on, false accusations, opposition. Look at how the Lord deals with it. And he, of course, is our ultimate example. You know, Jews have their uh, heroes of faith, like Moses, like David, that they aspire to. Muslims, they also follow Muhammad. And by the way, that is the, the heart, or, the, or rather the goal of Islam, to basically imitate Muhammad. And by the way, you may or may not know this, I just shared this the other day in Minnesota, where they have the largest Somalian Muslim population in the United States, actually in the world outside of Somalia, that the Muslim calendar began when Muhammad immigrated from Mecca to Medina. Okay, that's when the Muslim calendar begins. Why? Because it celebrates the pilgrimage, the immigration. Friends, that is why Muslims immigrate all around the world. And when Muhammad settled in Medina, he spread Islam. And that's why Muslims immigrate and spread Islam, because they follow, they imitate Muhammad. So our... Ultimate example, apart from Paul, who said, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ, is the Messiah, Jesus. And look at what or how he responded in the midst of this attack. In verse 25, at that time, at what time? The time that he was under attack, at that time, Jesus answered and said, Father, I thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth. Lord, you are in control here. I thank thee because you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent. And you have revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. And you'll notice he touches on you have hid these things, the hiddenness of God. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And then what did the Lord say? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Shalom, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Notice how you, Jesus uses a, an image of a yoke. And you know what a yoke was? It was put on an ox. And basically the ox had two options. He either kicked against it and fought against it, and it would prick his legs and cause pain. 
The other option was to do what? To go with the flow and carry that burden. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke. There is a yoke. There is a burden in life. We can't escape it. We all have a cross to bury, to, to, to bear. We all have that cross. And especially, especially the context at that time, there are going to be times that we're going to get assaulted verbally, emotionally, spiritually. And how do we stand? We either fight it or we apply the cross to our flesh when we want to retaliate. I'm sure Joseph, when he was in prison, he wanted to retaliate. I'm sure when he saw his brothers, there were times that he wanted to bring about justice. But look at the mercy, look at the forgiveness of Joseph toward his brothers. Did they deserve it? No. Do we deserve it? No. And, uh, and this is the cross. This is the message that we have to apply it to ourselves and we have to take the message to a world that needs reconciling to God. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though we do not see you, we believe and we are filled with a joy unspeakable and filled with glory. Thank you, Lord, that your ways are so much higher than our ways and your thoughts than our thoughts, Lord. Thank you that you are the all-wise, only invisible God. And we just want to declare that we trust in you, we just want to say, as your son said, Father, we thank you. And I just want to encourage us all. I just want you right now, whatever you're going through, you know, the Bible says, let us offer unto him a sacrifice of praise. It may hurt you to do that. Maybe there's someone that you're struggling forgiving. Maybe you're struggling forgiving yourself. Maybe you can't let go. I want you to offer a sacrifice of praise. Give it over to the Father. Take his yoke, that cross, take his yoke upon you. And he promises and you shall find rest for your souls. So Lord, I pray your blessing on all your people here tonight. Shalom, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Hashem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, amen. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash Beit Abba or call our office at 707-455-7790.